Hello, this is Marissa Louise, and this is who I am. Thank you for agreeing to do this. We've got a nice uh, chorus of crickets in the background. And uh, um, I think this is the first time we've spoken. I think I say that uh, to a lot of guests, but I, there's a bunch of people I know just online. Um, but yeah, I think this is the first time we've actually spoken in person, as it were. I think it is. Yeah. So um, do you want to introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about what you do. You're a... I am a colorist. Mm-hmm. And um, for the past few years, I took this year off. But mm-hmm. prior to that, um, I've run, uh, or I volunteer a lot at nonprofits and run some nonprofits. Okay. And uh, where did you grow up? Uh, well, I grew up, I was born in Virginia and then I moved to Oregon when I was 10. Mm hmm. And then at some point in my life, I matured. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, were you always a comic reader? or? Yeah. Uh, so when I was in Virginia, back then you could get uh, comics. This is like the 80s. You could get comics in, um, in corner stores, mm-hmm. right? And in New York, they're bodegas. Uh, in Oregon, they're corner stores. And in Virginia, they're dime stores. Mm-hmm. So I was uh, a little kid, and I would walk to the dime store. And um, one day, this, like, dude, <laughs> uh, uh, I was just hanging out eating candy or whatever. And uh, this dude tossed me a bag of comics mm. and said, he just didn't want his kid to read that garbage. Because <laughs> uh, I guess his kid had bought like a bunch of comics and candy. Mm-hmm. And so he saw me eating the candy. And so he just tossed me this bag of comics. And that was my first comics. And I was probably like six or seven. Hmm. Um, and from then on, I definitely read comics. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of interesting that he didn't want his kid reading them, but he was fine with, uh, <laughs> with throwing them onto you. Yeah, well, I appreciate it, and I'm sorry that kid didn't get to read comics, but I'm glad I got to. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember which ones they were? Oh, gosh, no, I have no idea. Yeah, I always find it weird when people can, can, like, completely, clearly say, oh, it was this issue, it was this, I remember distinctly my first one. Yeah, I, uh, that would be... Uh, like 28 years ago, so mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my memory is not that good. <laughs> it's not good at all. <laughs> um, did you did you uh, just basically pick them up from the dime stores and the, the corner stores after that, or were you very quickly uh, a, a, like a real comic collector where you wanted to find st- specific comic book shops and go there and, and pick up stuff or? 
Sure. In so in Virginia, they were only at the dime store. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and I think this has to do with also like sort of the turn of the era. Um, and so when I by the time I moved to Oregon, they it was all comic shops. Mm-hmm. But fortunately, uh, fortunately, Oregon had like a real wealth of comic shops. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like super hard to find them. The, the thing was, though, uh, back then it was really not that comfortable to go into them as a young lady. Mm. <laughs> uh, so I would like I would go into them anyway. And I'm just kind of I don't know. Anybody that's met me in person knows like I'm just sort of an airhead goofball and I'll do the thing I want to do regardless if people think it's appropriate or not, just because I'm kind of an airhead. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I like go into these shops as like a little 10 year old girl and the guys would be like whispering and whatever and being weirdos. But, uh, I, I just didn't have the sense to pay attention. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so I go in and like just rifle through the, rifle through the uh dollar bin mm-hmm. um but i definitely ended up with multiple copies of fem force 5 mm. which i don't know if you know what that is mm-hmm. but yeah. it is not appropriate <laughs> for little girls um but you know like i said i didn't have any sense <laughs> nobody was really guiding me so i just sort of like grab what I thought would look interesting. Mm-hmm. Wait, why do you think the, that that came around where um, uh, uh, comics seem to become very much like a, a, a man's uh, or a boy's club? Because it, when they first around, there was like, a, they were so, they were so uh, readily available everywhere. And there was a lot of uh, female, young female readers from, you know, in, in the 60s and like all the way through from the 30s through to the 60s, 70s, and then it seemed to die off and became very much like a boys' club. What do you think that? There was some interesting research into that a while ago because the same thing happened with video games, mm. um, and it had to do with selection bias and marketing. Mm-hmm. But basically that, uh, and this is like, look, I'm not an economic historian or anything like that. This is just <laughs> like to the best of my knowledge from the research I've seen, um, what had happened was that, uh, once marketing was starting to get a grip on that stuff, uh, mm-hmm. uh there was a real problem with their selection bias and their data. Uh, and so they, they'd give the, uh, the men a little more attention or focus when they were marketing towards them. And then they'd have this return data that guys were more interested mm in X media and then, and then, so then they invest more in it. And then the data would also turn back again that, uh, men were, were more interested. So it was just this like real problem with, uh, not very good scientific methods. <laughs> and it's the, do you think it's still around or do you think it's, there's been a shift? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Hmm. But, uh, uh, there are bigger conversations to be had than I'm equipped for with uh, regards to marketing and like uh, how how data is 
used in marketing and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, did you what, did you have a moment when you realized that you wanted to work in comics, or did that come? Yeah. Yeah. I so I. Uh, this is not going to sound very generous to myself, but uh, <laughs> uh, I wanted to do comics, but I was always really turned off by the idea of having to do like all of the drawing and all of the coloring and like all of the everything. Mm -hmm. Like I just didn't want to have to draw the same thing that many times, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And like it kind of gave me stress to, to think about having to draw something perfectly that many times. Um, And, uh, uh, so I just sort of was like, well, I'll just do it in my spare time and I guess I won't do it, do it. Uh, and I was like, uh, when I was 15, um, I had a friend in Australia (laughs) that we met on a message board, Hmm. uh, in the early days of the internet. (laughs) And so, uh, the internet was so slow back then that basically what we ended up doing was we'd, we'd send letters to each other. Like we chat on the message board sometimes, but like back then what you'd have to do is you like leave a message and then a week later you would get a response. Um, so it was about the same to like just write him a letter. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote, uh, he would write me scripts and he would send me scripts and then I would draw the scripts and I would put him in an envelope and mail uh, the comic to him. Mm-hmm. And and then I guess I made some comics with my little sister. Oh, there was this place, uh, Awajimaya was the other place you could get comics mm-hmm. uh, when I was growing up. And so that was the Asian market. And they had this like really great um, selection of comics. Um, did you did you send the original artwork to Australia, or was that, did you uh, like copy them, uh, photocopy them, and make uh, little zines or get them published? I <laughs> did not think to <laughs> copy them. Uh, so I just uh, I just sent him all the original art, but I was like, you know, this is like we're talking like thirteen and fifteen here. I was mm-hmm. not like a master <laughs> of any art form. Mm. Um, so my friend, Tony Gregory, uh, I was showing him, I came across a whole binder of some of my high school comic art. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that did have Xerox copies that I was selling to other kids. Mm. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and so I sent him like pictures of all my, <laughs> all my stuff from back then. And it, you could really tell what I was reading. <laughs> Um, what, what, who were, who, who were you into at that stage? What, what books were you, or what uh, creators were you I was into? reading a lot of, um, Invader Zim mm-hmm. and Ranma and Sailor Moon and <laughs> our local library. This is the other place I got comics. Our local library was stocked by Dark Horse. Mm. So I was reading all the Dark Horse stuff. Um, mm. yeah. And then I figured out about coloring when I was like... Uh, this is embarrassingly old, but uh, <laughs> I found out coloring was a job when I was like 25. Mm-hmm. 
and I lost my mind. <laughs> it's like, finally, this is the thing I was supposed to be doing this whole time. Why was I doing illustration in fine arts when I could have been doing this? <laughs> but uh, Dave Stewart had come into this uh, little cafe I was working in. Mm-hmm. And he's such a nice guy. And he, he just uh, gave me his business card. And I put it together that he was somebody who I had been reading comics of since I was a little kid. You know? Which is also funny because he's not that much older than me. So he was probably a kid when he was making this stuff too. Um, and uh, yeah, so I figured out that that was a job. And then, you know, he he reviewed my portfolio and my friends from um, uh, from New York art schools reviewed my portfolio and. And and then I just started going to conventions and, and figuring out where I belong that way. Hmm. What was it about coloring that that that, um, that lit that in you? Do you think? Oh, I just uh, some people think better in line, and some people think better in color and mm-hmm. like shapes. Um, and I am one of those people that thinks a little better in uh, shapes and color. Hmm. Uh, it's the old. Uh, David versus uh, Cor. Well, I don't remember how to say his name, but there was a French academies used to fight about uh, color painters versus line painters, and it's a whole battle that's been going on forever. Mm. So I I just happen to be one of those like color thinking painters. <laughs> um, did you? So you said uh, you mentioned fine art. Was that something that you were studying at that point, or? Yeah, I went to school for painting, and I went to school at Pratt. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some reason, I had this idea when I was a teenager, which is also why teenagers should not be in charge of their teachers. <laughs> uh, let me tell you. Uh, but I had this idea that, like, uh, uh, that fine arts was still a viable field because, like, where I grew up, people like had paintings and liked art and went to museums and things like that. And so I thought it was, I thought it was like a viable thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it was in my context. But then when I actually started doing fine arts, um, I find out that there's a lot more, it's not, it's not so much about the art as it is about your ability to like market and, uh, launder money (laughs) Uh, did you um when when you when you realized that coloring was a thing did you suddenly like find yourself rebuilding your your skills and saying okay i need to learn how to do this for comics or uh, so one thing i had to learn is in a fine arts degree they did not teach me anything about photoshop so Mm -hmm. i had no clue how to use it Mm -hmm. um and i had been meaning to use it because to learn how to use it because I knew I had to and it was really an impediment on my ability to earn money to not know how to use Photoshop. Hmm. Um, but uh, other than that, it's all the same principles, you know, like problem solving, um, polishing work, figuring out uh, how to, like the the nice thing about the fine arts degree is that uh, I really am able to match whoever I'm working with Mm-hmm. Uh, because I'm not like, I don't have like one specific style that I have to stick to or I'm lost, hmm. you know? It's, yeah. 
it's I I just I know how to how to sort of ask aesthetic questions. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that sounds so pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like that's what the fine arts degree is. Is, mm. is your 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 figuring out how to look at things and and how how to take them apart yeah but i mean these say it sounds pretentious but it's 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 true that you have to you're going to encounter so many different styles and so many different uh techniques of of artwork that you're going to have to use and and work with so it makes sense um what do you do you remember when you when you had that moment where it was like someone said okay i'm going to pay you to do this or uh let's see i started it was kind of a grind (laughs) (laughs) uh because like nothing worth doing is easy as that old cliche goes (laughs) and uh uh with this like i just wasn't very solid in photoshop so i really had to grind to learn that first Mm -hmm. and um so i started out by uh doing flats for nolan woodard Mm-hmm. and Bill Crabtree and it was great and exciting and uh, that is a very hard job and everybody should thank flatters for existing <laughs> yeah it's it's something that I always think to myself you know I should learn that so I can help out the, the people that I work with and I've tried I've, I've got I've I have several um, step-by-step guides and, and stuff like that of how to do it but I'm I'm not good with Photoshop either, and it's it's yeah. there's something somewhere in one of the steps that is eluding me, and I can't get my head around it, and it just it, it I can't get it. But yeah, it is a very it, what, it, it, explain for for people who don't know what flatting is, if you wouldn't mind. So it's um, flatting is if you think of coloring like doing graffiti, um, it's basically making stencils so that the artist can lay in the color exactly under the line art. And the reason it's really important is because it saves a lot of time for the colorist <laughs> and it keeps things nice and tidy for the print, um, print process. Hmm. Is, there, um, is, there, is there a stage when you start working with Photoshop and, and doing flatten where it becomes mechanical for you or is it, is there still something creative to it? That... In flatting? Yeah. Mm, flatting's 100% mechanical, uh-huh. which is which is why you can um, send it out to other people to do. <laughs> um, and that's a real blessing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I liked it because it was... Uh, at that time, so when I was flatting... I was working in a cafe and I was also working as a fabricator at the same time. Mm -hmm. So it was nice to have something where I could just kind of like tune out and just get it done. Yeah. Uh, So, but also still like not be on my feet. (laughs) (laughs) Because let me tell you, man, cafe work is hard. Everybody should tip over 15%. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And like fabrication was, really an intense job um i did uh i did finishing mm-hmm. so that meant that i did all the uh uh i did the painting and the sanding and the uh and the polishing and stuff like that mm-hmm. um 
So it was pretty physical, like carrying big stuff around all day and then, you know, standing for eight hours a day. It's just, it's, mm. it, it made me buff. <laughs> is um, it, it, it get, becoming a, a colorist in, in comics, is there is there like a, a community that supports each other and it becomes like, a, okay, this person's coming up and they're flat in and then we're going to give them a chance and and like people pass out work amongst each other or is it is there is there like a clear path for you to to get into comic work um there is not a direct path but colorists are incredibly supportive of each other and Mm -hmm. they're very kind generous people um and and so there's like a pretty big colorist community uh, that talks to each other and, and gives each other tips and like offers each other support and, mm-hmm. um, you know, will vouch for each other if you do a good job and like pass off jobs and things like that. So um, but there's no like it's it's not like if you say you want to become a colorist, like jobs will start raining down from the sky. It's mm-hmm. still really competitive. Um, but everybody pulls for each other as much as they can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the um, the, the it, especially at the moment, it seems like I mean, it, it's it's been a long time coming because for for me as a, as a reader, it was like in the um, the nineties when coloring became such a when when the, the um, house styles of a couple of books cha- or a couple of uh, publishing companies changed so much that coloring became a real they started to lean on colorists more. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, like I, I still think a lot of the like, uh, early colorists, I think they all did amazing jobs with, because it, especially with that early stuff, it was such a puzzle of how to define the planes and the shapes and, Mm -hmm. um, how, how to get any clarity in any mood with 64 colors, Mm. you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and you think about how those things have to fit together and how how delicately they and precisely they have to fit together um, to to make that work. And then the whole art form of uh, color guides is pretty amazing, too. Mm. So it I think it I think it took a more nuanced eye to appreciate it back then. But I, I, I think it was um, still a, it's always been a very impressive art form to me. Mm-hmm. Who are the uh, you mentioned uh, Dave Stewart before, but who are the, the people yeah. that you that that you look up to as, as colorists? Oh God, um, <laughs> there's it's so many. Uh, the am I gonna do this? Like should I do it by era or? Yeah, I sure. I mean, who who would have considered like the, the if you go back in into God. like Silver Age and Golden Age? Um, I know it was more like a. Um, I, I don't know what what term to use, but like newsprint separation and 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 yeah. color separation at that stage. But who are the people that were considered artists back then? Do you think? Uh, I always forget her first name, um, but Wine is her last name. Mm-hmm. Lynn Wine. Uh, uh, everybody that was working at EC was great. Yeah. Um. Uh, uh, man, 
Sorry. brain is not cooperating. <laughs> um, well, uh, uh, Glennis Wine. Uh-huh. Uh huh. She did some really cool coloring. Um, I have to pull out some of my books to remember names exactly, but I could definitely like. It's one of those things that I could see, and then. Um, because the credits are always kind of hidden back mm-hmm. then. Yeah. I will admit to not being very good about remembering everybody's name. <laughs> they're kind of, sometimes they're hidden now as well. That's the. Yeah. But it's like. It's hard to remember everybody's name in general life. <laughs> <laughs> so like if people have forget me or forget my name like i i never take that personally because our poor brains are overloaded all the time mm-hmm. so it's i don't think anybody does it out of uh anything other than an accident mm. but there's a there's a thing called uh that this is very popular to talk about now it's it's called a uh, cognitive load mm-hmm. um and it's all the stuff your brain has to do in a day uh and they use it a lot they're talking about a lot more in game design now too because um it's one of the big accessibility issues that Mm. not everybody can handle like the massive cognitive load of 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 having to remember like uh everything like the whole map of an area you know Mm -hmm. like uh so you need to make a little more accessibility in your games by making sure that you can lessen cognitive load. Um, but yeah, that's one of the things that I always think about. Mm. Everybody's you, brain's overloaded right now. Yeah. What, what do you do to, um, to step away and, and to unload? And to... Uh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that's why my brain's a mess. <laughs> uh, but I'm trying to like, I'm trying I'm trying to start some new techniques of like, um, of doing like, uh, daily brain dumps, Mm -hmm. but I haven't quite found a way to do that. That works for me. Cause I, I find I sort of lose some of the internal pressure to get things done. If I'm doing, um, brain dumps Mm -hmm. instead of doing memory stuff. Uh, so yeah, just trying to find that balance is hard. I guess I have, uh, there's a Spotify playlist Mm -hmm. called, uh, Calm Vibes Mm -hmm. that I have saved to my phone and I listen to that at night and then read some, read some comics. Hmm. What is your, uh, your workday like? Cause I remember, um, I can't remember when it was. It might have been a month ago or a couple of months ago. You had a, you were doing some really long hours and um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the joy of uh, of uh, freelance work. Um, do you, is it is it a when, when you get into that with the long hours? Is it like completely uh, project dependent or is it more of a, a volume of stuff that you have to do or a particularly tricky thing that you have to to um, work out? Or? Okay, so remember that cognitive load I was talking about just mm-hmm. a minute ago? Yeah. Um, one of the things that kind of makes my days longer will be uh, 
having to switch between projects really rapidly because mm-hmm. it takes my brain. And this is a normal thing to happen to anyone. Um, so if anybody's listening and they're <laughs> identifying with this, what is happening is normal. Um, so switching between projects will kind of slow me down. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm having like a period of time where I have to work on a whole bunch of different stuff at once, it goes a lot slower than it would if I just was able to finish one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. Because you, when you when you switch those different thought processes, your brain needs some time to catch it, catch mm. up. And if you're switching between them super fast, then it's really going to mess up your brain. Mm. Um, but right now, uh, I had some long days earlier in the month and then I had some short days and then, uh, hopefully I should be able to keep it all on short days for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, and so a short day is like eight hours, nine hours. I don't know. I have to chase some people around for money. So that's going to extend my day. Mm. (laughs) That's always the fun part of the, Uh, the the kind of office-y side of the the work all this stuff the stuff that slows me down is like i was telling somebody today i was getting real annoyed because um if people don't put things away in a consistent place or order files in a consistent way and i have to figure it out Mm -hmm. that slows down my day and it makes things very hard um Because, like, just having to stop and look for stuff and Mm -hmm. then think about, okay, this person might have put it here. Oh, it's not there. Okay. This person might have put it here. Mm, It's not there. Like, it (laughs) it doesn't seem like a big deal, but when you're, when you're doing a whole bunch of projects, that time adds up. And, like, just taking away that, that half hour to look for pages is not great. Mm hmm. Have and you it makes you grumpy? <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Um, have you have you got to a, a stage now in your career where you have a, like a bunch of people that you you have, have a relationship with and you collaborate with them um, repeatedly, and and you enjoy working with them and you're kind of you know you can you can say okay I'm I'm going to take this this job with this person because I know that I like them more. Yeah, I have people that I definitely enjoy working with. Um, Unfortunately, comics is a really, really hard industry. um, And a lot of the people I enjoy working with the most have uh, left comics. Mm. And, you know, they're 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 done. They Mm. don't want to they can't they either can't afford to do it anymore. They don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like there was a big wave in. I mean, it, it, it. there's constantly waves happening, but it seemed like um, uh, 2010, there was like a real swell of interest and excitement for um, indie creators and self-publishing creators. And then it, like a, a few years after that, the numbers started to dwindle and numbers start, and people started to fall off. And, and Yeah. Yeah, I mean, people have families they have to take care of, mm-hmm. you know? Like... And so when you're getting paid late or you're getting 
you know, if you're if you're having to work like crazy hours to make ends meet, it doesn't work for everyone. Mm-hmm. I have a I have a friend who who's a single dad and like he he had to quit. There was like there was no room for him to take care of his family and to work the insane hours he needed to work. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, people were paying him like two to two to six months late. And it's just mm. like, what what is he going to do? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And especially if you're doing, if you're working, I mean, there's, you know, it's a, a constant debate going back and forth about um, whether or not you can have a day job and do this and, and like the pacing of the work. But there's, uh, yeah. there's definitely health, uh, issues that come up and and the the, the yeah. amount of hours that you have to to give to do the especially the, the heavy lifting side the like the artwork and the um the coloring and the letter and the actual real um um visual work that needs to go in and the the artwork and and stuff like that is really it takes its toll yeah everybody has to figure out their own way to do it and like you know, if that means just making comics on the side and not doing it as your full-time job, that's fine too. Mm-hmm. Like there's no there's no rules how to do this and it's a tough job and I don't know anyone that's serious who doesn't acknowledge that it's a tough job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I can't remember who you were speaking with, but you, you said something again on Twitter. You was uh, that whole idea of um, uh, you, you said that you were at a convention, and um, like these people have been very dismissive of, of you, and then they realized that you worked in the industry, and then there was this like <laughs> get us a job kind of mentality. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. I was at a convention, and uh, a couple of guys were. Uh, didn't think there would be any reason I would be interested in comics or reading comics. And then they were asking why I knew what a colorist was. And I was like, well, I'm a colorist. And they're like, oh, yeah, who are you a colorist for? And I was like, well, for these companies. And they're like, oh, can you get us a job with them? <laughs> no, <laughs> absolutely not. Um, what do, do you do um, the, like the 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 work that you do in coloring and comics, is there other fields that you do that in or is it, is it, is comics mainly where your focus is? For? Um, I have done some storyboard stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did like a comic book for a TV show. Mm-hmm. I did some like coloring on that. Um, uh, but, uh, Comics just takes up so much of my time. It's hard to, uh, it's hard to look for other work. But mm-hmm. you know, I don't like turn down stuff if it comes my way. Mm-hmm. And what about line line art? Do you still do any drawing or illustration work? Or uh, no, I did do some recently, but I can't remember what it was. Mm-hmm. I know I did something. I don't remember though. <laughs> <laughs> I had to draw some characters. It's like some character design for something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Who knows? It's in the past now. Mm. It's gone. 
Uh, what, what's been the biggest change in coloring since you've been doing it? Is there, or is it now? It's kind of in a groove now with uh, with the technology that's used and the programs that are used. They're pretty universal, or is it still? Free? Well, I've only been doing it five years, uh-huh. but in that five years, one thing that has happened is that uh, the printing has kind of changed. Mm-hmm. Uh even more than before, like, uh, printing technology always kind of changes, but even in the five years that I've been coloring, um, one of the technologies that changed is there's a lot more digital printing and a lot less offset. Mm -hmm. They even Marvel is doing more digital printing than offset. Oh, right. Mm. Um, and so that affects how like files turn out and, uh, profiles and things like, uh, what are they called? Your color. Called your color setting in your color profiles, yeah. Mm-hmm. So those have changed in in the years that I've colored. Hmm. Did you have to learn prepress? Yeah. Funnily enough, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually they taught us a, you know, not like the best foundation of of prepress. Like um, I ran. Um, we had to learn lithography in school mm-hmm. um, and do screen printing and things like that. So I like knew all the concepts of how printing works and like what ink over overloads and things like that were. So so get, grasping those ideas was not hard for me at all mm-hmm. um, because that is one of the things that they did teach us mm-hmm. in college. <laughs> um, I, I didn't realize that Marvel had gone more to, to or more digital printing it's uh i mean there's not many places that do offset anymore and it's no there's not a lot of offset anymore yeah that's another thing that's that's really changed in the last few years is that that that, you know that going from having to print a thousand copies of a, a book and hoping that you can sell them and now you can print a handful of them and go to a convention and yeah all that stuff still a lot of times looks like buds yeah. But you can make it look a lot less like butts if you <laughs> understand prepress. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there's that. Mm. Um, do you do you like going to conventions? I love going to conventions. Yeah. Yeah. It is very fun. Yeah. Um, I like talking to the people. Um, I like talking to kids especially. Uh-huh. Um, kids are maniacs. <laughs> <laughs> And I love how they have no sense and they have all these wild ideas and I just like to tell them to go for it. It's yeah. very fun. Hmm. Okay. I like to travel. Yeah. It's good to write off conventions. <laughs> um, how many do you go to a year? Uh, last year, I think I went to nine. Oh, okay. And do you go, um, go all over the place? this year, I'm only doing two. Okay. Which two are you doing this year? This year was Emerald City uh-huh. and Thought Bubble. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Is that That's coming up, right? Uh, Thought Bubble is in September. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. That's uh, I, that's pretty far. <laughs> far away or far, far, time-wise or uh, Distance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
how many chances am I going to get to write off going to England, you know? <laughs> um, is Emerald City your, I mean, there's, there's Rose City, I guess, in, in yeah. um, Portland, but is Emerald City become, that's become like the real, um, it, it's a very good place to go to, to meet other creators and, and um, yeah it's a it's a really great networking show uh-huh. um i would say heroes is a great networking show mm-hmm. um for indie stuff staple is a really good networking show mm-hmm. um emerald city uh those are the those are my top networking ones mm-hmm. and thought bubble has been good for networking um and then there is one that's just fun to go to. It's called the Las Vegas Valley or the Vegas Valley Book Fair. Mm-hmm. And that one's just fun to go to. <laughs> <laughs> it's in Las Vegas and like, um, uh, sorry, I'm working on an aesthetic problem. Mm. One second. <laughs> uh, it is in Las Vegas and it is paid you go as a guest Mm -hmm. and uh uh it's just a one-day thing and you get to put together whatever panels you want Mm -hmm. so that's that's really fun Hmm. do you like being on panels yeah i I love it yeah yeah i i like to talk I have something really important to say, except I forget it. Um, just kidding. I don't know. It's it's really fun because it's a chance to just like reach out to different community and and talk to people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's really fun to do panels. Hmm. Hmm. Well, Marissa, thank you so much for agreeing to to talk and for My taking pleasure. some time out. And um, if people want to, if you. If, uh, people want to find your work or find you online what's the best places to go uh, I am in between websites currently I have some stuff on Tumblr which I think is Tumblr or Marissa Jaws or like Marissa Louise Sketch Dump and my Twitter is Marissa Jaws mm-hmm. cool I'll put some uh, links in the show notes And uh, thank you mm, no thank you don't go to my old website I oh. lost the license to it, and <laughs> <laughs> don't go to it. <laughs> and do you still read uh, Femforce? Uh, no. no, but I do have a copy of it that I had when I was a kid. Oh, right. And uh, don't get mad at me, but I still kind of like the drawing in it. It's so <laughs> ridiculous. No, I, I remember um, maybe it was at Long Beach or at WonderCon. They... I don't know if it's the same group, but they still put that book out, right? Do they really? I think they do. I don't know if it's uh-uh. it's like fallen into um, public domain or something like that, but there is there's definitely stuff that's come out by them, and I'm not sure if it's reprints or new stuff. So uh, I'll have to look. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you so much for having me on. Mm, you're welcome. Thank you. That's it for the show. We'll be back in two weeks. You can find us online at whoiampodcast.com and contact us by email at whoiam at gmail.com or by phone at 818-308-4066. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, there is a submissions form on the site. We're also on iTunes where you can leave a rating if you feel inclined. Thank you for listening. 
I'm your host, Jamie Gamble, and this was This Is Who I Am.